sometimes we have this plan that we try and force it, but we have something sitting right in front of our face that really that's sometimes the pathway that we need to go. And Mm -hmm. I think for me with the insurance, I was trying to force it, right? It was one of those things where it was like, okay, I'm going to make this a career for 20, 30 years, but things kept happening where it was like, okay, my path, I don't think this is it. Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further, faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Alkema. Hey, welcome back to the Real Better Life podcast, episode 14. Today, we get to hear again from one of our previous guests, Brian Harbin, the founder and CEO of Grit.org and Grit University. Uh, We heard from Brian back in episode nine, and today we have him back on the show. And we talk again about grit, but in a little bit different context. Our trajectory today is going to go two different directions. One is we're going to hear about where grit has shown up in Brian's career and in his life and his work leading up to his calling and his pursuit of grit.org. And then the second thing we're going to hear about is when can we take grit too far and how do we make decisions about when it's time to throw in the towel and when it's time to buckle down and persevere and endure and build that character and that mental toughness. So with no further ado, let's get into episode 14. Harbin, welcome back. Thanks. Glad to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man, you got both of us today. Last time it was uh, me and you and your crew, and today we got Ness joining us. I'm so excited to, to be on here. Yeah, it's an honor. Brian and I go way back. I'm sure everybody heard from the first episode. If you didn't listen to that first episode, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. I wasn't able to be on it, but I, I listened to it, and it was nothing less than spectacular, which I didn't didn't think it would, would be any less. But today I get to actually interact with my boy from years, years, years ago. <laughs> it's a blast from the past for me. So. Fired up to be here. You know, you probably picked up the great Harbini nickname after selling books, if I'm not mistaken. I'm guessing you probably did. You're saying the great Harbini nickname? Yeah. Yeah, I think that came from definitely the insurance world, for sure. (laughs) Different different stories for different days. That's right. Welcome back. (laughs) Reunited, and it feels so good. This is part two of Brian Harbin, and we get to talk about grit again today, but we wanted to take a little different trajectory than we did last time in the, in the first episode. So a couple big themes for today. We want to talk about where grit shows up in real life in several different areas. So we're going to talk about where grit shows up relationally, where it shows up emotionally, and where it shows up occupationally. And so we're going to talk about you know just some different stories and some background information on how Harbin got to where he is today, runninggrit.org, which is really a passion project and a calling for him. There's a couple decades of a lot of hard work, a lot of grit. I think I'm safe saying this, Harbin. There was a lot of moments in your career, you know, from when Dave knew you selling books, when I knew you in the insurance world, and even after that, where, you know, we could honestly say that day in and day out, you were doing things that took a lot of perseverance and took a lot of mental toughness. And it wasn't necessarily your passion, but it was ultimately leading towards you know, this concept of your better life and, and leading towards a better future. And I think your best days are still ahead of you, but we want to unpack some of those lessons that you learned along the way and, and how to develop grit and, you know, where you've exercised grit. And hopefully some of that will give some, some hope and some inspiration to the folks that are listening and they can take some of those lessons and apply them to whatever it is they're going through. 
And then secondly, one of the big questions when we talk about grit is, you know, grit is certainly a good thing, but a good thing taken too far can become a bad thing. And so how do you make decisions around when it's time to buckle down and persevere and endure and exercise some grit? And then when can grit perhaps go too far? You know, because certainly there's a time where, you know, I know we all hate calling it quitting, but we're walking away from something is actually the, the better move. And so how do you make decisions around that? And when do you know if it's the right time to throw in the towel and go a different direction? And, and when do you know it's time to put your head down and just suffer through and learn the lessons and, you know, develop that character that you get from pushing through adversity? So why don't we start here? Can you walk us backwards and start wherever you want to start, but walk us backwards to how did you get to the point where you are today? You know, amazing family, you know, doing work that you're really passionate about, making a tremendous impact. I mean, what were some of the things that you had to go through and some of the adversity you had to overcome and the lessons you had to learn to get to where you are today? And, and within that, talk about grit in each of those three areas of your life. I would say you guys know a little bit about the background with the book company and put in eight summers there and met my wife from it. And so much foundation was laid there. I'd say that a very pivotal moment was after my wife and I got married, when I left the Southwestern business, you know, my business was at its peak, but I also knew, and I was getting a big promotion and, and getting, inheriting some more business and uh, was basically going to make double the income, but there was that cost benefit payoff. I'm like, okay, well, my wife and I are getting married. Do I want to work more and travel more during our first year of marriage? And so for me, I think that was a really important moment because I said, you know what? You know, I had a lot of money saved up. My wife and I were getting married. Todd McWhorter, who I'd uh, heard him and his wife traveled after they got married. I said, hey, I love that idea. Let's do it. My grandparents had been to New Zealand, said it was amazing. So my wife and I, after we got married, moved to New Zealand for six months. And so I think for me, that was one of those decisions where I could have gone two roads. I could have, you know, put my head down and worked harder and and made more money and everything else. But I said, for the direction of how I want to be as a husband and eventually a father, this is the road I want to take. And, you know, I knew I had a great foundation of work ethic and and financially was in a position to be able to do that. So that for me was a very pivotal moment. And for us in our marriage, putting that first. And then it was just a matter of, you know, really wanting to have the skills that I had developed at that point translate into a career where I could get off to a fast start, you know, got into insurance and had the opportunity to, you know, really build up an area from scratch and insurance and, and learn a whole new field. And so, you know, did that for and continued to grow that business. But there came a point, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years into the business where I knew long-term that wasn't A, what I wanted to do. And it wasn't really going to give me the the long-term independence I was really looking for. I don't have to go into too much detail, but the, the deeper you get into some companies, you realize kind of the politics involved. And I knew that, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years, I didn't want to be in that same situation. But we had uh, just had our second kid you know, my wife was a stay-at-home mom. And so financially, that was a situation that took some grit where it's like, all right, I need to roll up my sleeves. And even though I don't love it, I can live with it and I can keep doing this every single day. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep my eyes open for other opportunities. So what was so cool about that moment, there was a very pivotal moment where like I knew that it was like, okay, it's time to start looking for something else. And I had gotten into, I had bought a couple rental properties and fixed them up. But, you know, if you're making a couple hundred bucks on a rental property each month, that's not really, you know, something that you can quickly pivot into as another career. It was kind of a slow build type thing. 
but it was like the moment that, gosh, I, I swear it wasn't more than two months after I made that decision of like, okay, I need to start looking for something that really is going to be my next thing while I'm also continuing to build my insurance brokerage. And it wasn't two months later that somebody told me about domain names. And I really just started, you know, working on and learning that industry on the side. I mean, I would put in a full day of insurance, come home at night and go to my office and just start reading and learning as much as I could about domain names and learning about trademark laws. And a guy had given me just a small portfolio of his domains to go out and sell and just started doing it kind of part-time. So I think those were, were kind of two things for me of like making that decision that like, you know, work is not going to be dominant in my life, you know, when I get married and then be realizing for me kind of that moment where you said there's a time to kind of put your head down at the same time being smart about it. And so that mentality allowed me to be able to use insurance to really help me you know, find domain names and what was going to be that catalyst to help me get closer to launching grit.org. Such a compelling story. I had two insights or two questions for you that I'd love to hear what your experience was. So you mentioned when when you got married and and decided, you know what, I'm going to kind of cut ties or we're going to kind of cut ties with life as we know it, life as normal and move to moved to New Zealand. Were there people in your life that were saying, what are you doing? You know, you got to start your career. You got married. You have responsibilities now. You've got like, were there, you know, kind of naysayers or contrarians in your life that didn't really agree with that trajectory? Absolutely. I mean, and the thing is, you know, like I said, my career was going great. It didn't really make sense, you know, to a lot of people within the company, right? Why I would leave. I mean, I just had my best year ever. And personal sales team, I mean, our organization was just unbelievable that summer. And so to walk away from that really at its peak was like, okay, nobody really does that at Southwestern. And then, you know, for me, I always had a plan, but up to that point, as far as knowing what I was going to be doing. And so I think that was the part too, that was so reassuring for me was that, you know, my buddy and I, when we backpacked through Europe a couple summers before that, our plan was that we had no plan. And so I felt like, that experience and backpacking through Europe with no plan was so freeing for me as a personality for somebody that is such a planner. I think it allowed me to be able to say, hey, you know what? It's okay for me and Jen not to have a plan and just go live in New Zealand. And when we get back, we didn't really even know exactly. We kind of knew, I think we did have it narrowed down to Jacksonville at that point, but that was about all we knew. We didn't know what part of town. We didn't know career-wise what we're going to do. So I think not having a plan really just allowed us to have the best time possible. And I think based on my personality, that was something that was important at the time. You know, it's interesting. I hope, I hope all the listeners will catch this because you said it. It was like a fleeting, amazing piece of, of your journey. And that is that, and, and I know this about you, by personality or, or by your nature, however you want to call it, you're very calculated. You're very much a planner. You've got things thought out you know, well into the future. But I think what's fascinating about it is that your story unfolded in a way that you volitionally and intentionally engaged in something that was counter to your normal mode of operation, your your normal way of doing things, you know, backpacking across Europe. And the plan was to not have a plan, which then that experience sets you up to do something similar with, with your wife. That's pretty rare and unique. And I'm hoping that the listeners will catch that, that sometimes in order to 
grow sometimes in order to take the next step, sometimes in order to exercise intellectual grit. It doesn't look like a fairy tale story. Sometimes it, it takes a little bit of decision making that is actually counter to what you would normally choose or normally what you would do or, you know, the path that you would normally take, which is, I mean, from what I get from your organization of, of grit.org and your first podcast with us, that's a big part of it is you have to, you've got to make intentional decisions sometimes that are uncomfortable. Absolutely. And one of the things that's been really helpful to me, you guys probably heard of the book, The Surrender Experiment. Oh, I haven't, but that sounds amazing. But this guy, he talks about kind of his his whole life trajectory. And he basically was, you know, in school at at uh, University of Florida. And they had like, you know, lived in a van out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, fast forward 20 years later, had this, you know, sold this huge technical technology firm for hundreds of millions of dollars. But anyways, he talks about his whole journey and everything that he did. He really focused on being in the present. And it's amazing how when you're really locked into the present, how opportunities are right there in front of you. And by rolling kind of with what's in front of you at the moment, that's where life really reveals itself. And I think sometimes we have this plan that we try and force it, but we have something sitting right in front of our face that really that's sometimes the pathway that we need to go. And Mm. I think for me with the insurance I was trying to force it, right? It was one of those things where it was like, okay, I'm going to make this a career for 20, 30 years. But things kept happening where it was like, okay, my path, I don't think this is it, right? And Mm -hmm. so kind of make that decision to open myself up to something else, you know, which was domains. And that kind of let, you know, leads me to the second part of this story where with domains, the beauty of it was, you know, and, and for the listeners, so brokering domain names and websites, I'm kind of like a real estate agent of domain names and websites, right? There's a buyer that's trying to buy a domain and somebody's trying to sell it. I bring together a deal and they get paid a commission. So the beauty of it is it's this whole world. I mean, the guy that was like the number one domain broker in the world used to be like a used car salesman. I'm like, man, if this guy can do this. I know I can figure it out. To me, it was fascinating in terms of just nobody knows that domains are are sold for the amount of money that they are. It's this whole underworld of, you know, but everything requires a domain name. And so, but, you know, I was kind of, it was very much a slow growth, you know, doing it part-time. And then I'd been doing it for, so I started doing it in 2014. And then in 2018, again, I was just kind of doing this part-time, you know, just making a couple thousand a month, which, you know, was good, but it wasn't enough to, you know, obviously transition over to a whole nother career. But in 2018, I brokered what at the time was the 14th largest domain sale of all, of all time, ice.com. And mm. broke it, it was like 3.5 million was the, you know, it was well into six figure commission. I'm like, wow, this is the game changing, right? But the thing is, is I'm like, you know, part of me was like, okay, that was one sale. And obviously business really picked up after that. But then it came to the point of like, okay, when do I pull the plug on insurance? And when do I go all in on domain names? And there was a period of time where it was probably a good, you know, basically from that 2018 to 2020, where it was like, I mean, it was kind of constant back and forth in my brain of like, you know, granted with insurance, I could walk away and get paid renewals. But still, it was like, okay, I'm going all in and and it's just me. And up to that point, you know, I'd always had sales organizations and I'd kind of been in this mindset of, 
I'd never really gone out completely on my own, but I knew I was more than capable. But it was like one of those things that, like, you know, I've, I've got a family and kids and kids in private school. I've got these expenses and it was just this constant kind of ping pong back and forth. But then, you know, yeah. I, was like, I just need to make a decision. I need to set a date and go from there. So it was like, all right, January of 2020. I love the, you know, 2020, like the vision. I said, this could be the, the launch of grit.org. And I said, I said hey, I'm going to leave insurance. I'm going to go all in on grit brokerage, broker and domain names. And I'm going to start developing this concept of grit.org and, you know, grit university and everything else. And so that's what I did. And it's just been amazing because it was like, again, once I made that decision to go all in on broker and domain names, the floodgates opened, right? A guy mm. gave a conference three months before I was supposed to transition, make that transition. And this guy that had been brokering domains is like, hey, will you hire me? And I'm like, well, I'm not really looking to, but yeah, let's figure it out. And this guy, Michael, has been working with me now and we've been you know, crushing it together. So again, just kind of that mentality of going in all in on yourself and then just kind of taking what life is presenting you right in front of your face. There was a piece of that too that I thought was... uh super compelling. And Rob, I don't want to dominate, but I got to, I got to get this out. Cause he just said something really cool. Harvin, <laughs> you said, you set a date and made, made the decision. And I've got this thing in my mind. I can't remember where I heard this. It might've been actually back, back in the days that you and I were working together. I might screw this up, but I think it's the Latin translation of decide. There's two words that come together to create the word decide. And it's uh deci, which means to divide and then side which, which in like the suicide, homicide kind of thing is, is really indicative of to kill or to kill off. And so the d- word decide, interestingly, is to evaluate your options, divide them, kill the ones that you're not going to do, and then you're only left with the one that you're going to do. And so that decision that you made, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like here we are four years later, I think, you know, in terms of your timeline, and it dates back to to a decision that you made by evaluating the options, being calculated, being planned like you are, and then saying, okay, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And, and betting on yourself, which is such a huge part of grit when, when you think about it. I mean, they kind of go hand in hand. I don't know anyone who's bet on themselves and hasn't had to exercise a significant amount of emotional, relational, psychological grit and and occupational grit. So it's amazing how they all kind of play together. But I love the story of just decide, divide and kill and go forward. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing I would add to that, too, I'll remember right around that decision where I knew I wasn't going to be doing insurance, but I wanted to find something else. There was kind of that two months later that I came across domains. Well, in that two month window, I'll never forget. I would add this to what I'm going to say too, in terms of verbalizing what you want. So we're sitting there with my wife. We're watching Million Dollar Listing. You guys ever seen that TV show, right? And I told her, I said, if I could do something where all I did all day long is negotiate, I would be the happiest person on the planet, right? Like most people hate negotiating, but I love it. And again, like with broker and domain names, I mean, that's, I'm a professional negotiator, right? That's what I do now. And, and I do it from my office at home. So that was really cool. And the fact that that was something I verbalized to her. And, you know, the other thing I would say too, is that sometimes when we are in the grind and we're putting it forth all the effort, because I I will say like between selling books and insurance, I mean, that was an absolute grind in terms of the amount of time and effort and travel. and, And I think what I learned from going all in on myself and being independent 
with what I do now is that, you know, making money and having a successful career doesn't have to be as hard as we make it out to be at times. Mm. I think sometimes it can be a lot simpler. And, and I think now it's weird because I always chased kind of, you know, that next level of income or what was next. But I feel like when I started working for myself, I wasn't focused on that, but that's actually when I received it, if that makes sense. So it's like, because it wasn't a priority anymore, you know, just like when we were selling, right? You know, if you have a really yes. good buying atmosphere with Jones and you can, you can genuinely look her in the eye and say, you know, whether you buy these or you don't, it really makes no difference to me. If you can say that and mean it, which for us, we did because we wanted to go see the next person if she wasn't going to buy. And when you got to that point, that's when she would open up and want to buy. And I think it works the same way for me with making money, right? If you say, hey, I, I really want to get to this benchmark of income and that's what your focus is, I feel like it's going to be a lot harder to do that versus when you're not focused on that. That's a super interesting dynamic that I've never thought of, but I, you're dead on. I mean, it's, yeah, when when you want something too much <laughs> and it takes priority over your own growth, your own ability to connect with people, your own awareness, usually that's that's when it becomes the vacuum in the room and, and you end up self-sabotaging instead of actually achieving what, what it is that you were going for to begin with. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously you have to be putting in the metrics and all the, you know, time, effort and what it takes to achieve that level of income. It's not just going to show up at your door, but if you're doing right. all those things and it's not happening, then there's kind of that mentality shift that can help you unlock that next level. And I felt like that was something that, that I experienced from it was just letting it happen. So, and then, so yeah, good. of course, brokering domain names. I mean, that really just, you know, give, gave me the bandwidth to do everything else. Broker and domains can be 24-7, but at the same time, you also, from working for myself for many years, I had healthy guardrails in terms of just my time and effort and could get a lot done. But it also freed up the nights and weekends to be able to, you know, coach the kids and, and really start developing this idea of, you know, Grit University and, and Grit Camp and and what I knew was really going to help you know, be my, my passion long-term because the way I looked at it, cause I, you know, just turned 40 and it was the year of 2020. And I'm like, I don't want to. And, I, and Jen and I always had this vision of what we wanted it to be. We didn't really know the name of, of everything at that point, other than that it was like grit.org and grit university. We just knew it. we wanted to impact young people, but I didn't want to be rolling that out when I'm 60 years old. Right. So right. that's the reason being able to have something like, you know, the domain business, that would help kind of fuel the growth of, of what we really wanted to, to do by impacting young people. And, and plus having the extra 20 years to do it, doing it while we're still young and motivated and, and our boys are able to be a part of it and be at that age that is super impactful. So what a great construct, you know, you've got your passion project of grit.org, but then also recognizing that, well, you also have to make sure that uh, you continue your, standard of living as, as you've said it and being able to do both is, is huge. Yep. I want to touch on a few things that you hit there and these go hand in hand, even though they seem maybe at first glance, like they don't. At one point you, you mentioned, you know, the grind, right? And if you could talk for just a minute for somebody who's in the listening audience that is not familiar with, you know, what you were doing in Southwestern or for somebody who isn't familiar with, you know, the supplemental insurance business, you know, and, not just to keep it to those two things, but I know those two better than some of the other things that you've done. And when you talk about the grind, give people some context for what were the hard parts of that job. You know, we got we got drilled into us. 
many years ago, this idea from the common denominator of success that that successful people are successful because they form the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. And talk about some of those things that you had to grind through that you didn't necessarily feel like doing, but that was what was required to to succeed in that role. And it, it built a lot of character in you. And then the second half of that question is, when you're in that grind mode of your career, how do you simultaneously live in the present and take the opportunities that life is presenting to you at the moment, as you said before, but also not be easily distracted and never gain traction because you're always just jumping from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Because I notice a lot of times opportunities seem to come out of the woodwork when you're going through the hardest stuff, right? Like when you were on the book field, you know, there were people you'd sit in their homes and they'd be like, hey, you should really look at this. You know, you, you seem like you work really hard and sales is tough and you should come work for me and you'll make way more money. We got hit with those texts and calls all the time when we were in the insurance business. And now, you know, in the real estate business, if you're good in real estate, you know, you're getting beat up day in and day out by phone calls, text messages, emails, like everybody's trying to recruit you. And so there's lots of stuff coming across your plate in the moment. And it can be hard sometimes to know, like, when do I take what life is giving me? Because I'm just seeing all these opportunities pop up right in front of my face. And when is it time to just buckle down and do the hard stuff that's right in front of me right now? You know, it's always tough to make those decisions, but I I feel like it's something that it can't be emotional, right? Because a lot of times when those opportunities come up, we're emotional about it. It takes time to kind of sort through, you know, the logic, the emotion, talking through people that you trust, you know, seeking good counsel. I feel like good decisions generally do take a while if if it's going to be monumental like that in terms of I feel like a career change is is very monumental, (laughs) I mean, there's some decisions like, you know, picking out tile, like you should do that pretty quick, right? Like don't waste your time on some decisions. But when it comes to a career move, that's something that, especially if it involves a lot of people and and a startup time, I mean, you know, new job career is going to take you six months at least just to, to get, the, get in the groove. So I would say just really, you know, making sure that you're carving out the time to think through get that counsel, you know, think through your emotions, talk to your spouse and and really figure out the plan. And then once you kind of have that plan, stick to it for that period of time. You know, for me, when I'm in the grind and Dave, this is something that, you know, you and I always had fun with is that that's how I survived the grind is, is having fun, you know, Harbin Houdini. And I mean, how to make selling insurance business to business and door to door fun. It's not easy, but if you can make that fun, then it makes it more enjoyable along the way. And, and, but I think, you know, yeah, if you can find, have fun doing hard things, that's really going to help get you through it. And then that's, you know, a big part too of, you know, teaching sports to kids is that helping them learn to have fun because that's really going to help you push through that, that first instinct to quit. So I think that was a tremendous thing to learn along the way. It's just learning to have fun, you know, good self-talk, right? What are you saying to yourself, you know, to keep yourself going? What are you listening to? You know, what are you reading? Those are the types of things that I think can really help you stay focused and not get distracted. I think I answered two out of the three questions. Was there something there that I missed? (laughs) That's good. No, talk a little bit more about that, though. Like, what are some specific examples of things that pop into your head of how did you gamify doing hard things? How did you make them fun? I think, you know, a lot of times what I enjoyed doing, you know, a lot of it was motivating other people. So I would just try and take things that are relevant to what's going on now 
and then, you know, relate that to our business, you know, just the interacting with, with them and, and non-work settings, you know, being involved with their families. And, you know, I always had a plethora of jokes, you know, again, just to keep people laughing and smiling because (laughs) if people are too serious at work, that's generally not a good thing, especially in sales because you're tense and you're too nervous and, and every single prospect can feel that. So, just like in sports and sales, you need to be loose, right? And the best way to do that is to laugh and have fun. And so the more you can help people do that, I think, you know, just being personal with people, like sharing your story with Pete, you know, letting people in on your personal life, you know, sharing fun stories, being in constant communication. I mean, what's interesting about what I do now is I've got a team of, uh, there's three of us brokers, and then we have two full-time assistants and, and we're all remote, right? And pretty much every single client we have is is all remote. So you're talking email, text, phone call. So how do you make it where um, it's different? You know, again, just similar like weekly calls with people and trying to stay connected, being quick to respond. I think that's the, in my view, the best way to build credibility with people is just being quick to respond, especially when it comes to technology and emails and texts and everything else that really helps build trust and being overly generous, right? In terms of just, I think, so those would be just a couple ideas. You know, one thing that that you said in there that I think is a huge nugget and it was part of what you asked, Rob, in that question, there's a um, assumption within the dialogue that we're having that people should learn and need to learn and I'm still learning how to be the type of person who likes to do hard things. I feel like that's the undergirding part of what you're saying is that there might need to be potentially a transformation for people that are interested in this idea of grit and find your story fascinating that you almost have to start to identify as the type of person who likes to do hard things. Even if you mess it up, even if you fail, even if it doesn't work out, it's that old that old uh, adage. I think it was Robert Kiyosaki who said, uh, "You either learn or you earn, or you do both, but never neither." Right? right, and it's that iterative process of trying and trying and trying again. But beneath all that is this idea that we have to learn how to become the type of people that like to do hard things, and that's not everybody. It's and that's okay. But I find it fascinating that you're talking about all of these things that you did, all of these things that you do that are tactical and some are strategic, but underneath it all is the years and years and years of growing into by virtue of reading, by virtue of testing yourself, by virtue of partnering with other people, by virtue of having conversations with your trusted people in your life, becoming the, the identity of the type of person that likes to do hard things. Then the hard things become easier. Absolutely. And I think too, like for me now with my routine, I do it kind of on a weekly basis, right? So there's, you know, parts of the week, usually Monday through Thursday that I do all the hard things, you know, get up and do the early morning workouts and going to bed super early. And then, you know, all the diet restricting things that I know I need to do, you know, I do all those hard things, getting up early, staying up late, just putting in that those hours, but then I have the reward that I look to, which is the Thursday, Friday, Saturday. My wife and I, we've had this standing thing for over a decade now where it's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. I'm not a late person, but she likes to stay up late and we stay up super late and we drink wine and we hang out. And like, 
you know, for me, that's the reward that makes it all worth it. You know what I mean? So I think having, I don't like getting up, you know, tomorrow I'm getting up doing a 5.40 a.m. CrossFit workout. I don't like it, but at the same time, I'm going to feel better and I'm going to enjoy the beer on Thursday night after, uh, you know what I mean? Feeling like you've earned it versus, yeah. you know how it is. Like there comes a point in time on vacation even where you're kind of vacationed out, right? And I feel like life can happen too much if we get too much of that dopamine that you actually don't enjoy it. So it's like when you do hard things, it makes the things that you want to enjoy more enjoyable because you feel like you've earned them. And for me, that's, that's so where I've come to. Um, and now that I do it on a weekly basis, it's it's easier, right? Yeah, it's just a habit now. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I want to hear what Brian has to say just the thought of when can grit or endurance or stick to any of these concepts, when can it go too, too far? Want to move into that? Can I suggest a good segue? Yeah. As we launch into that, Brian, tell us the story about your uh, car accident, your first summer on the book field. <laughs> that's, that's probably a good lead into whatever else you're going to say. <laughs> One of my favorite stories. Yeah, so it was actually my second summer in Montana. I had about an hour and a half commute in the morning. And I think it was probably like 7.15, 7.30 in the morning on this two-lane road, Belt, Montana. And I remember my back tire blew out. There's this other car coming. I can still see this older couple through their windshield. And I swerved and then swerved back. And I end up rolling off this ravine that was, I don't know, maybe this ditch, it was probably like 15 feet below the uh, the road. I remember as my car, all my stuff in my car was like flipping over around me, but, you know, landed up on all four tires. And then it was uh, called the emergency hotline. They, you know, fly in a chopper, get me there. Ironically enough, my landlord who I was living with was an ear, neck and throat doctor. He was actually the one that stitched me up. So go back to his house and I'm, I'm like, well, you know, this is kind of that pivotal point in the summer. It's like, you know, week four, week five. And I said, well, I can't just sit here. So I ended up, he had a bike, I ended up biking out to a territory that I knew my roommate, my rookie roommate was in and, you know, knocked on some doors and yeah, it was just a super emotional day, but ended up finishing up the day. And then I remember my parents were like, all right, well, you're coming home, right? I'm like, no, I've got to stay out here and, and, you know, finish the deal. So I ended up buying a car out there and finished the summer and Ended up with a great summer, but yeah, it was just one of those moments in life where it's like, all right, this is the choice of two paths. I've got a way out of this really hard thing called selling books, but at the same time, I had a commitment to Dave and the rest of the guys that I worked with, and you know, I had four first years out there, and I think too, ego wise, as a nineteen year old, it was like, well, this is I don't want to have to go back and tell people that I quit, you know, even though. I total my car at the same time. I could insurance basically pay for me to get a new one. So, you know, one of those pivotal moments in life where it's like, all right, are you going to be the type of guy that's, that follows through with what you say you're going to do, even when you have a way out? So luckily I, I chose that path at the time and definitely has helped make decisions along the way easier. Cause like, man, if I stuck through that, then I can definitely stick through whatever's next. And that's, you know, like you said, a good example of like, there's a time where I think too, when it comes to values, do you need to stick through it because you've committed to it, right? Like with a marriage or with a kids or a career, like, you know, following through with your commitments, if that's a value, then yeah, staying with it is you need to finish the drill or at least communicate what your way out is going to be. 
Now, are there times where it's too much? Absolutely. And I think too, that was the thing that, I mean, there's everything always has a price, right? So like when I was in the insurance business, you know, there was a direct correlation between the amount of time that I traveled and how well or our organization performed, right? So mm-hmm. basically, hey, I can continue to grow, but the flip side is I'm going to be gone more. And so there's that price. And I think over the course of time, you don't really notice it overnight, but those relationships, they do start to change. And I remember when, um, if a spouse ever says like, hey, it's easier when the other person is gone traveling, like that means it has gone too far, right? If your family gets too comfortable with you not being there, that means it's time to change, right? And not that we'd gotten to that point, but it was like... I could sense that it was like when I came home, it was like you're 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 trying to catch back up to make up for when you're gone. And then when you're going to leave, you're kind of preparing for that. So even if you only travel a week a month, you still spend, you know, half the time either recovering from leaving or preparing to leave. And it's just it's a lot of emotional stress to put on everybody and especially in a marriage. So I think traveling is one of those things that can be a source of contention at times, especially with work. But if it's not a choice, then that's just something I guess you have to try and work out. But I think that's where the mental, emotional, physical all comes into play, right? If, if you're doing too much that physically you're not able to work out or carve out that time for yourself. You know, for me, one of the things that was really life changing for me was getting into to meditating, right? Because my my brain is always constantly going and thinking and doing things. And so, you know, I knew that physical workout, you know, that's been part of my routine and makes such a big difference for me in so many ways. But I think for me, discovering like meditating, going for walks, like, you know, every night I'll take my dog for a two mile walk. You know, I will meditate after working out or having some time before I I go to sleep to really just kind of think and recharge. And it's been amazing for me, especially as an entrepreneur, that carving out that time to allow me just to think has been one of the most impactful things. I mean, I would say probably 90% of my best ideas have come in that time. I mean, you guys are in real estate. I think when you guys are in negotiations, I think, you know, my best time to kind of figure out strategy is when I have that kind of alone time to think through. And I think one of the things that really helps me as a negotiator is the ability to empathize. So really thinking at every situation, how they're looking at it, you know, the benefit of, of being a broker like you guys are, is it, you know, you understand the buy side and you understand the sell side. So you bring that knowledge to every single negotiation and it helps you find a way. And I think, you know, taking that space allows you to take out the emotion, allows you to take out the ego, I think taking the ego out of, you know, really makes a big deal in negotiating. But so I think just trying to have all those different things in sync, right? So if if your relationships are good, you know, physically you're good, you know, your schedule's not out of whack. So I think, you know, trying to keep all of those in balance. And if one of them gets out of balance, then it's time to probably recalibrate and figure out where you need to have less grit and scale back. You know, if you're spending too much time, you know, coaching your kids or doing, you know, non-work related things, then you do need to apply more grit to work. Or maybe you're putting in way too much time at work and need to apply less grit 
and put more in as, as a husband and a father. So I think just really, again, kind of goes back to just being in tune in the moment with relationships and not just what people are saying, but, you know, how are they like around you? How are they feeling? What's the energy level that people have around you to determine if you need to recalibrate? And so just trying to really be present and aware of what's going on around you. I just wrote down like 14 different <laughs> metrics that <laughs> I need to go and implement immediately. <laughs> well, if, I could, if I can tie some of this together, Harvin, that was incredibly insightful. And what I heard you say, if I could summarize, is when you're making decisions around when to exercise grit or where to exercise grit in different parts of life, it's good to assess like, hey, is this coming from a place of integrity with my values and integrity with my priorities versus... Am I doing this from a place of pride, ego, selfishness, self-centeredness, right? Because I think you can look at different scenarios and where for, for one person, maybe they need to push through that because they need to fortify their values and priorities and have integrity with those. Somebody else you know, is doing it more for, I need to look a certain way or I have a reputation to uphold, or you know, my value is from what I produce and what I do and not from who I am. And that really struck me the way you said that is, is it's really this battle between integrity with your values versus the, the, the battle of the ego and self-preservation. And so just realizing you know, where, where am I wanting to exercise grit from, which, which of those two places, and those two places are in, in constant competition with each other. Definitely. And I think too, having those values in front of you. Like, you know, for us, I think we talked about this in the first call about gritcreed.com. If you go to gritcreed, C-R-E-E-D.com, those are the 12 principles that when we started grit.org that we wanted to teach and you guys will recognize a good chunk of them. Yeah. And then just having those front and center and living by them. And it, it really makes decisions easier, right? Because you're not having to, there's no gray area because you, that's what you're, upholding. And I think for me in my relationships, like just following through with what you say you're going to do is the easiest thing to do. Sometimes can be the hardest thing to do, but I think just having those values in your mind, it helps establish trust and, and has strong relationships and helps make those decisions easier. So, and I think too, like when it comes to, you know, planning, I do think, you know, I know when Rob, we worked with insurance, you know, that was something Peter did a great job. It was like carving out time to plan. And I think to making big decisions then when you're planning, when you're not emotional, when you're more in a rational state and you can, you know, think through the calendar and all the different things that you need to do and then work backwards from there. So if you are taking time to schedule and plan, then you just really just go out and execute and stick to the plan at that point. And that way you take the emotion out. Now, obviously there's times that you need to pivot and make decisions on the fly too. But for the most part, you'll have thought through, you know, most situations at that point, be ready for them. Yeah, man, we could do a whole podcast episode just on a Peterisms that we picked up over the years, but you just reminded me of one I, I had forgotten, man. I haven't heard that in years, but it's four days a year. You tell your business what you want it to do. And the other 361 days, your, your business or your plan that you made tells you what to do. That's good advice is to carve time out for quarterly goal setting. And, and that's the time to, to look at the big picture and ask those questions and pay attention to values and priorities. And then you make your plan. And once that plan is in place, there's a ton of value in just going through and executing in 90 day sprints. Like that's just, that just works. <laughs> yeah. And Brian, I've got, uh, just so you know, I've got the grit creed pinned in my browser. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How about that? Dave, any, um, any other final thoughts or comments or questions before we wrap up? 
No, this has been amazing. I, I've got about a page of notes and, and things that I need to go and think about and meditate on myself and execute on. I'm excited to, to do that. Harbin, man, so good to reconnect. Thanks for joining us a, a second time. We're probably going to have you back on. <laughs> You're full of all kinds of wisdom, brother. You've got all kinds of experience, insights, and just foresight as well. So I'm super excited just to reconnect. And I know we haven't talked to a ton over the last couple of years, but it's amazing how we jump right back in. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I know I know the themes. I know the process of what you're speaking of. And, and I hope our listeners are getting some of this too and have taken a, a couple of things that they can go and, and execute on right away because it's, it's life-changing. If there's any way to help too with talking to your agents about negotiating or, or building trust online with, I mean, I'm sure more and more people are buying real estate, not face-to-face. And so you have more opportunities to sell. 100%. You know, that's, that's what I do. So if there's anything I can do to help there, you know, love to uh, to help those guys out, guys and girls. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be incredible. I might take up on that. Dude, thank you. This was so good. You know, ditto to everything Dave said. And I'm picturing a day soon where if we keep having you on, we're just going to have to fly you to Denver so we can stop doing this remotely and sit down <laughs> in, the, uh, in the studio with that's a glass right. of bourbon in front of us and, and keep keep diving deeper into this stuff. Thanks, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience. You know, one of the goals of the podcast is to share that stuff so that we can help other people go further faster. And I'm certain that you did that today. So thank you. You're welcome. And thanks again for having me on. Definitely an honor. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Take care. See you, Brad.